You're listening to Now I've Heard Everything, presenting interviews with famous, fascinating, influential personalities from the 80s, 90s, and 2000s. In Minnesota, you're not quite allowed to enjoy your success. We are a culture of modest people, and and we... We would actually prefer that you come in second or third. A Prairie Home Companion creator and host Garrison Keeler. Today on Now I've Heard Everything, I'm Bill Thompson. Well, today, August 20th, is National Radio Day. It's a day set aside every year to commemorate the contribution of this 100-year-old medium to audiences worldwide, entertaining and informing them for generations and for some four decades, one of America's most popular radio personalities was Garrison Keeler, the creator and host of A Prairie Home Companion. It's fun singing that song again, and hello to all of you on a Saturday night. Welcome to another live broadcast of A Prairie Home Companion. Was that all right? Do you want to do another take on that opening theme? Or... Oh, we're live. No second takes. The live musical variety show became a Saturday evening fixture in the homes of millions. The Minnesota-born and raised Keeler brought his Midwest sensibilities and sense of humor to a prairie home companion, as he did in 2003 when he wrote a novel. And that's when I met him, actually, for the second time. So here now from 2003, Garrison Keeler. My name is John Updike, <laughs> and the uh, my name is Garrison Keeler, and... The book is called uh, Love Me, not to be taken literally. <laughs> I was wondering about that. Is it, is it love me or is it love, comma, me, like you would sign a letter? No comma here. Okay. I'll check inside <laughs> one moment. I'll be right with you. No, nope, no comma. No, just love me. Elvis wrote a beautiful, and he didn't write it, of course, but he recorded a song called Love Me. Treat me like a fool. Treat me mean and cruel, but love me. <laughs> is this a love story? It is. It's the story of a man who forgets what his life is based on. His life is based on work and loyalty, as most of our lives are. And he forgets about work and goes in search of fortune and has his comeuppance and runs his little car off the tracks, and he has to come back. And he comes back to the person who loves him, who is the person who loved him in the beginning. So it's, uh, it's an odd love story in, in which uh, uh, the man comes full circle. Sometimes can you only discover what you really want in life after you've discovered what you thought you wanted and it wasn't really? Some good luck consists of uh, finding, getting what you have, uh, which, uh, which once you have it, you realize is what you would have hoped for if you had known better. Yeah, yeah. Well, well Larry Weiler seems to have a decent life going on. He's got, he's got a nice life in St. Paul. He writes a best-selling book. Why, does he not, why is he not then content to be a best-selling writer from St. Paul? In Minnesota, you're not quite allowed to enjoy your success. We are a culture of modest people, and and we we would actually prefer that you come in second or third. We prefer the the uh, the bronze to uh, 
to uh, to the gold medal. Uh, sometimes we we win a gold medal and we have our gold medal bronzed, uh, you know, so as not to, uh, you know, seem as if we think too highly of ourselves. So in order to enjoy his success, to put on the dog, he has to get out of town. You go to New York and you can wear a tuxedo any night that you choose, any night. Any night can be prom night in New York City. This is not true in St. Paul, Minnesota. And, um, and so that's, that's one reason he goes. Also, his wife is a do-gooder, and she's a, she's a good person, but a good person who's hard to live with. She's, uh, she knows him too well, and to live with the person who is the authority on you and who is your most fervent critic is, uh, is not an easy thing for a man. Is Iris just not ambitious, or does she have a different kind of ambition than Larry has? Iris is a true blue Democrat. She is a champion of the friendless and the downtrodden and the oppressed, of which there are many. And she finds her satisfaction in doing battle in their behalf against entrenched bureaucracy. She's a, she's a battler. She rises to the thrill of combat. He's a writer, and, uh, and, and a writer is not a, it's not a fighter. A, a writer is a contemplative person, a person who is really quite happy in isolation. Yet there are legions of downtrodden in New York City that she could have helped rescue. She could have. She could have. But that would have been a different novel. <laughs> I, I decided not to go down that road. It would have been too much work. Did, did you – I don't get the sense that you purposely placed Larry in Temptation's way, but he wound up there, didn't he? It's hard to keep a character out of, out of Temptation's way. <laughs> And uh, and and he he got there on his own. <laughs> I, I I feel his uh, his uh, having an affair with the nurse from the fertility clinic was <laughs> nothing I would have dreamed up. Believe me. <laughs> now I have to tell you, over the years I've talked with many very successful first novelists whose second novels crashed and burned i mean i larry's story is starkly familiar to me from from this side of the interviewing table this is not an unusual phenomenon in publishing is it his first novel spacious skies was uh, a gigantic hit and then the sequel uh, amber waves of grain um didn't go anywhere it had a long section about soybeans that people <laughs> thought was a little sleepy and he never even got around to writing purple mountain majesties after this short break garrison keeler's explanation for writer's block now back to my 2003 conversation with garrison keeler does he if if a novel crashes and burns, does that mean his entire dream has now been destroyed? Yes, yes. But 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 a person has many dreams, mm -hmm. and uh, and his 
he has to he has to recover himself in the wreckage which 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 wreckage is useful for um some people need a good hard kick in order to find themselves and he find them he finds himself when he suffers writer's block and he just can't write one sentence after another and he becomes an advice columnist and in the course of offering common sense to other people he finds a little common self he finds a little common sense for himself and he starts to make some small changes in his life one thing he decides that he's had enough alcohol and that this had a dreadful effect on his life and now he's had enough thank you very much and it's time to see what what lies ahead so he does he meets with some de- some degree of success as an advice columnist one never knows one never knows what what success is mm. As an advice columnist, you, I was an advice columnist. I was going to say you had some, you had some measure of success as an advice. I don't columnist. know. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I got a, I got paid for it every week, but, but what effect one has on the lives of other people, um, one never knows. I think I was the res, I think I was the cause of some people quitting their jobs, <laughs> and they seemed to think that was a good thing. I generally came down in favor of freedom and happiness as against uh, making uh, big sacrifices for for long for the long term uh-huh. <laughs> that was my advice generally well let me return if I may to a, a metaphor that you alluded to at the beginning of our conversation about did I use a metaphor I don't I, recall having used a metaphor sir really it, it may have, it may have been an illusion <laughs> <laughs> of, a, of, a, of a railroad car getting back on track ah yeah. is it do you do you believe it is possible to get a broken marriage back on track in this book it's possible and I have to assume that it is possible and when one considers the vast amount of trouble that people go to who go through a divorce every divorce is bloody there is no such thing as an amicable divorce the trouble that people go through and then they go through a year or two or more of depression and guilt and grief and then they have to go out and be attractive to somebody else to find a replacement. That's a lot of trouble to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, I think that people can recover their their romantic feelings for for each other. But it must be a different kind of relationship than afterwards, mustn't it? I suppose. I suppose it is. I don't know. I'm 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 out of my depth now. I'm talking about things I have no direct experience with. 
Well, they taught us in Writing 101 that your main character must be different at the end of the book than he was at the beginning of the book. That fundamental truth. Larry is a different person by the... I don't want to give away what the ending of the book is, but Larry is a different person at the end of this book? Very different. Very different. He's, um, he's back in St. Paul, and he's exhausted his, uh, his, his dream of, of fame and fortune in New York City. And, um, and he's become a faithful husband after, after leading a few wanton uh, adventures. Are there autobiographical sketches in this book? I imagine there must be. I don't see how one could write a book this long without drawing on one's own life and experience. Um, it would not be mistaken for Garrison Keillor's diary and oh, by no, any no, means, no, no, but, no. but this is but certainly it, your own experiences inform a book like this. Oh, surely yes. No, here I'm just scanning through here. I see an autobiographical. Uh, I see an autobiographical <laughs> reference here on page eighty-six. Here's another one on page sixty-three. One could go on and on, but these are these are, you know, these are slight things in passing. <laughs> Here's one on 26. Uh, so. <laughs> well, when you, you, when you look at the totality of Larry's experience, the totality of your own experience, are there places where they seem strikingly similar to you? I did write for many years for the New Yorker magazine. Mm-hmm. So we do have that in common. And I did write a an advice column for Salon.com mm-hmm. called Mr. Blue, I did that for a few years, and so that's another similarity. He's a hockey fan, so am I, and um, we're both from Minnesota and went to the University of Minnesota, so we have that in common. Beyond that, not so much. I've never suffered from writer's block. Really? In my life, never, ever. No, I wouldn't Why do you suppose so many writers do? Because they're trying to write far beyond their own power. They are they are singles hitters who are trying to hit home runs. And uh and so they're trying to direct the ball. They're trying to overpower the ball. And this is always a a bad thing for a hitter or for a writer. Uh you're supposed to know what you what you can do. I am a sort of novelist. I am a a sort of short distance runner and I can write a novel which consists of short things stitched together an episodic novel and this one includes letters so mm-hmm. and little bits of other things so I'm able to paste together pieces and make uh, and, and make something that that one can call a novel. I am, I am not the man to write you giants in the earth, and I think we should be grateful for that. But but that's just my, <laughs> that's just my own feeling. Having having been forced to read Giants in the Earth when I was <laughs> when I was in junior high school, I'm not uh, the man who can write you the Adventures of Augie March, which, book which I love and would never, ever imagine that I could do anything like it. Garrison Keillor celebrated his 79th birthday last week, and you can still find him on the radio and in his podcast. 
And you can find easy Amazon links to Garrison Keillor's books at our website, HeardEverything.com. And while you're at HeardEverything.com, be sure and check out my 1995 interview with Wolfman Jack. I remember when Elvis came out with his first record, Heartbreak Hotel. He was probably the only white artist on the whole program, and it was quite unusual to have a white artist doing rock and roll back in those days, you know. As well as my 1987 conversation with the great Larry King. The main thing you have to be is be honest. If you don't know something, say you don't know it. If a guest says a word you don't understand, ask him to explain it. Never be afraid of looking stupid. And, of course, we post new episodes here every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And you can find Now I've Heard Everything on all major podcast platforms. And thanks for listening. Next time on Now I've Heard Everything, the Oscar-winning actress and comedian, who's actually a lot smarter than people thought she was, my 2005 conversation with Goldie Hawn. I wasn't picked up off the street and dusted off and suddenly found out that I was funny. You know, I got little glimpses of the fact that I could make people laugh. I didn't quite think I was funny. That's next time on Now I've Heard Everything. I'm Bill Thompson. Bill Thompson.